Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Looper. In the year 2012, Joseph Gordon-Lovett had a weird chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's where this film kind of left me cold for a little while. Uh, this is... I, let's just uh, spit things out. Uh, film Looper. This guy, Matt. That this guy. guy, Luke. There we go. It's a sci-fi sanctuary. We have correspondence for our podcast. We 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 have. I guess we have a science correspondent, which is awesome. We've got we've got. Yeah, she's Buddhist also one. our Matthew McConaughey correspondent. Though. True. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we we've got our our Buddhist correspondent. We've got a transhumanist correspondent, and coming back today, we're we're in the year 2012, so we've got. Our time wave correspondent beaming in from Rune Soup podcast and well, not just a podcast, but a whole digital realm. Hi, Gordon White. Hello. Is that the right thing? So time wave Soup? correspondent. If it's 2012, can I be apocalypse correspondent? Sure. That sounds way cooler. Yeah, we'll change I the like name. It. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Why 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 is this thing? I, I guess that's a was a Terrence McKenna thing with the time wave. <laughs> Yes, Time Wave Zero, 2012. And funnily enough, since we last spoke, I think, um, I've been, I spent a bunch of time on, on Maya country in the Yucatan. So speaking of 2012 and the Mayan calendar and so on, I was giving presentations about time and apocalypses and so on. So it works. There awesome. you go. Okay. Well, maybe maybe if we do run out of steam on this one, I, I will we'll ask you more <laughs> about that. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I saw this. I think I saw this opening weekend when it came out. Um, I, I, yeah, we were saying, you know, just a spoiler for everyone in, in our notes. Like you, you used to like it more, I and like it less. Whereas I, I didn't like it when I first saw it, uh, which was kind of too many. Th- my expectations were all wrong. You know, this was like mm-hmm. two years after um, Inception came out, and the marketing kind of made it look like this is your follow up to Inception. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt's yeah. like basically playing Bruce Willis in this. So that that was one big turnoff, right? Because I, I wanted to see him, you know, doing it in his, his dance in the hallways. That sort of impact again from Inception, right? Um, and, and the makeup's good, but weird, you know. <laughs> it's so. Fu- I actually stopped it halfway through this time because I watched it over two nights. I stopped it halfway through, going like, because in the flash forward scenes where he's like in China and whatever and, and growing up to be Bruce Willis, there are some times like in the dance club, in the nightclub where he's putting the, the drops in his eyes where he looks like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And then he doesn't. And I'm like, have they, I'm just going to check that it's not a three actor role. Like that's how little he looked like him in some scenes. The makeup, and I think it was the, obviously they put colored contacts or something in him, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt's really pretty, and this is a crime. <laughs> this is a crime to make him look weird. <laughs> okay, well, I, I was not willing to forgive that crime back in 2012. And, and I came out, you know, got really good reviews. So I was just kind of like, did I not get something? And yeah, and, and I'm still not like, oh, this is the best thing ever. But, you know, I, I'm over that at least. You know, I came in like knowing that was going to be the case and didn't have to concern myself about it so much. This time around. I, in, in my head, because I think I've only ever seen it once, I think I saw it when it came out, um, I had it smushed in my head with a bunch of other films within that sort of, as you say, like Inceptions in there. There was, there was about three or four moderately good Inception-style things that kind of like came out around then. And in my head, they're just this sort of like, I'll remember those couple of years when Joseph Gordon-Levitt went time-travelling. It's kind of like... And, and then watching this one on its own, I'm like, is this even, and it's a real question that I made in my notes. It's like, is this even a time travel movie? I'm not even sure if it is, but that's kind of the angle I've taken with my notes and the discussion. 
But uh, I, I, I remember liking it more than I did this time. I like it differently this time. I don't think it's a bad film. Um, but I remember thinking like, wow, this is like a really clever time travel film. And I'm not sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, uh, uh, you can sometimes get, you can definitely get worse, but you can sometimes get better time travel in Star Trek, right? Um, so I'm not even sure if it's a time travel film. I think it's about other stuff, but what do you think? Me? Well, I watched this film for the first time two nights ago. <laughs> first impressions. And there was a couple of really, really cool ideas that stuck with me. But the overall film was less interesting than I think I'd been led to believe. Mm-hmm. And felt like more standard 12 Monkeys Terminator kind of stuff. Um, whereas I was expecting to see Levitt and Willis together a lot more. Yeah. Bruce Willis is actually hardly in this film. Yeah. Whereas the trailers made it look like young and old Bruce Willis together for the whole movie. And that was just not the case. It's kind of like, uh, was it Heat, where you get De Niro and Al Pacino and like they're both in yeah, it, true. but they only share like one scene together. And like, wait, what? You know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How can you hire the both of those guys and then not put them together? It's like, how can you make up a guy to look like Bruce Willis for an entire movie and then not put him? Maybe that's why you don't put Maybe them together. Maybe that's why but... you don't put them together, because then it, the, the effect doesn't work as well if they're side by side for it too long. It could be. The, the casting is in many respects strange. So we just discussed the crime of messing with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's face like that and not really using much of Bruce Willis. And Jeff Daniels as villain is a, is a bold choice. I don't know. What do we think? Hmm. Well... Because he's not necessarily like the villain villain. He's just like a middleman. And I think he worked in that well. Yeah. Because he had to he had to show up at first. He's just um, I can't actually remember the character's name, but the main character's boss. And they kind of have a friendly relationship. And then he's, you know, all business and he's a bad guy. I but just I think kept he worked, calling him- but yeah. I just kept calling him dumb and dumber in my notes. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah, one of the things it just I, there are some actors who, I mean, he's a reasonably good actor. There's nothing wrong with that, but it it's jarring it, and, yeah. and not in a good way. Um, like, God, I can't remember the name of it. It's controversial, I guess. The, um, the, army, the army comedy where Robert Downey Jr. does blackface. Um, oh, uh, Tropic, Tropic Thunder. Thunder. Yeah, that's it. And which is, you know, that hasn't aged well, but like Tom Cruise with the big giant hands in it. That he's mm. like the, the biggest star in the world, certainly was at the time. And it and so it wasn't jarring, but Jeff Daniels for me, I don't know, it was a little bit jarring. It's not that he was bad either, it's just like I can see dumb and dumber, I can see yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's really I don't want to say the casting was weak. I just don't get <laughs> <laughs> little I'm a little bewildered, I guess, is, is where I'm going with that. Because um, they can all act, you know, in that sense, it's good. I'm better than some of the other stuff that he's, uh, Rian Johnson went on to write. <coughs> Last Jedi. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, you mean the only um, good Star Wars film? <laughs> well, not the only good Star Wars film. The only good Star Wars film that happened in the last 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, could, I, could, I could actually back that up or stand by that. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't wind up Star Wars fans as much, which is why I say it's the only true. Good Star you can Wars say film. that. Yeah. You can, my fa- you can say stuff. Yeah, my favorite. Star Wars sequence is pod racing, right? You could just yeah mess with them. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I, I guess uh, that's I another thing I... that adds a little weight to this film because now we do have the when this came out, it was like, oh, it's the next Nolan film, but it's not Nolan's. It's just some other guy. Where some other guys, you know, a notable filmmaker now. So that helps. Yeah, I, I'm... It's trying... yeah. Well, it's it's I you mentioned that in your notes, Matt, Matt, because like I I literally wrote poor man's Nolan. <laughs> 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 Yeah, in 2012 for sure. But um, he's got. I still. Well, I still haven't seen Knives Out because we've decided to call that a sci-fi at some point for our. For. Well, <laughs> no, I haven't either. But that, that just. I guess that poor man's Nolan does Royal Tenenbaums, right? So I probably will like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I will go ahead and, and shoehorn a plot in here because we we're, we're already rolling on all four. So it's, <laughs> it's now or never. <laughs>
In the future of 2044, even more future people from 2074 are sending back some doomed folks to be assassinated. Surveillance tech has made it basically impossible to kill people in that future. Those that kill in 2044 are loopers. They will eventually kill their future self to close their loop. At first, Looper Seth is not cool with closing his loop. He tries to escape his fate, but Buddy Joe ends up turning him in. But then it's time for Buddy Joe to close his loop. Future Joe is not cool with this because he found future love. He deflects his younger self's shotgun blast, sucker punches the dude, and sets off to kill the Rainmaker, a 2074 mutant with full-on Jean Grey powers, busy closing all the loops. The Rainmaker is now a child, and using future set coordinates, younger Joe becomes the child's guardian, while older Joe is on a stoic murder rampage. Eventually, things come to a telekinetic shotgun blast climax, and younger Joe sacrifices himself, erasing older Joe in the process because he believes a mother's love will temper the future Rainmaker. Or not. We really don't know. I mean, he could have created a much worse future, for all we know. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, like I said, we we already kind of got into the actors, but um, I guess we we should talk a little bit about Bruce Willis one because we accidentally have gotten on a on a Bruce Willis kick on this podcast. Um, we just did Armageddon like last week, so and uh, yeah, this this you know twenty twenty two is the year where, where Bruce basically has to retire, which is kind of a bummer. So it's it's yeah. nice to go see a few Bruce Willis movies where he's still like you know sort of an I guess I guess he's maybe a little past Prime and Looper, but he's he's still doing his thing. So, <laughs> well, he's a little old, but um, we we talked about in Armageddon how we never actually saw young Bruce because he didn't become famous till he was already like you know mid to late thirties. Because I feel like Joseph Gordon Levitt in this is playing the age of Bruce Willis we never saw. Interesting. I mean, he was he was famous younger than that on TV, I guess. But if you mean he didn't become that action hero at the time, and the other, one of the things, one of the reasons I think maybe you don't see young Bruce Willis is um, he can't do it. And I don't mean like he can't do it as an actor; he's quite a good actor. But there's that one kind of like scene in the flash forward China sequence where they just kind of give him like long hair, but he's still bald, and yeah. that's the like halfway between Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. And I almost screamed, like, "What is this monster?" This looks like when he was playing that like weird male prostitute in whatever movie that was where he was an assassin. Um, but I'm like, well, God, like, you know, you spent, what did you spend all your makeup budget ruining Joseph Gordon-Levitt? And so you're just going to like put some wispy hair on Bruce Willis and say, <laughs> there, 40 years old. <laughs> when I saw that haircut, I thought this is Bruce Willis with the haircut that the bad guy had in Fifth Element. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's might just be one the of those... exact same piece. Yeah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> they just had it in the line around. He's one of those guys who was just born middle aged. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like he's he's got the voice which is, of the which face. Which sucks for when it. you're young. Which sucks when you're young. But once you get into your fifties, it's amazing because mm. it's actually like, wow, you look quite young. But if you when you're thirty two and you look forty five, it's not great. But when you're sixty and you look forty five, win. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I do have like i always felt like everyone's face kind of has like a decade where it's like you know a perfect fit like you yeah know, some people are always meant to look in their 50s some and then yeah if you were always meant to look in your 20s i guess that's a bit of a bummer so you know yeah. I, I guess so, that's the... it's funny i was thinking about bruce willis as well and the fact that he's actually been in like fifth element's a good example but either sci-fi or sci-fi adjacent stuff. And, mm. and it got me thinking, like, who is, I mean, the answer probably is Tom Cruise, but, like, who is the sci-fi actor of, like, our age or the last 30 years? And I don't mean, like, the actor who was in your favourite sci-fi film, but I think it probably is Tom. But you could make a pretty good case for, for Bruce Willis for that reason. That there's, mm. You know, the 
and I think that's why you cast him. He builds a he builds a sci-fi world around him. Like there is a certain grittiness to a like Bruce Willis sci-fi or sci-fi adjacent film. I don't know if that's the lighting or if that's just his facial expressions, but if you cast him in something a bit spacey, you know what kind of, it's not the full way to cyberpunk except when it is, um, but there's just something about seeing him in a movie that's going to be a bit sci-fi where you go, I kind of know the mouthfeel of this one. And in that sense, I mean, again, except for Jeff, like the casting's good. Well, I think Bruce Willis is, he's such an everyman, right? That's meant to be his shtick. Mm. So he's, you put him in a wild sci-fi situation, he brings it down to feeling more real and more believable because it's like, mm. oh, this can't be too wacky because Bruce Willis is here and he's good old sensible Bruce. It's yeah. like the opposite of when, you know, when they like to put Schwarzenegger in as the everyman, right? Because it's right, like, yeah. no, this yeah, that's is not a, an everyman. Yeah. You, put, <laughs> exactly. you put Schwarzenegger in a film and it becomes a sci-fi because yeah. it's got a Schwarzenegger in it. That's not believable. Yeah. <laughs> but even, yeah, that's true. But I mean, even Bruce Willis, it's sort of like, I don't know, especially in, you know, in these decades, even he's too ripped. <laughs> to yeah. be, even he's too ripped to be an everyman. Like it, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. You can't have like George Costanza in space for every film, but that's closer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am thinking, um, I, guess, I guess Bruce Willis is kind of like, like you know, nine, 90s style manliness in a way. Maybe that's why Armageddon was kind of like, you know, the uh, such a hit for that, right? It's like, mm. here's Bruce the dude, you know, in, in 1998. So, you know, we're, again, we're past that sell-through date, uh, just just time, just age, right? It's not like he's um, he's sucking at this point. It is, it is a 90s everyman thing, isn't it? Because there was Bruce Willis and his clone, Ed Harris, who were, like, in a whole bunch of movies as the hot guy in, like, the 90s, like the love interest in The Abyss and all the rest of it. That's true. That's, there was enough every man around for them to have like two sort of balding gritty action heroes picking up the roles. Luke, you support that, I assume. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, what do you mean nineties? It's still the case. But these these days they don't like you don't see a lot of balding. It's they go for the full shaved head now. True. Which uh, is the same decision I made because I think balding looks terrible. <laughs> it's uh it, you've got a some people can do it. I think if you're an architect, and I'm going to give this a shot when it happens to me, but I think if you're an architect and you can kind of do like the, the buzz two or three, so you've kind of got like high widow's peak, but with big glasses, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can pull that off for a bit, but you know you're just buying time. Right. <laughs> Speaking um, of, what do you think the movie's about? I'm not even sure if it's about time travel, but I'll, I want to hear what you guys think first. Um. Real quick, I, 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 before we completely go off the actors, I, I couldn't, I don't know if I'm racist, but I couldn't tell the white woman apart. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I recognized Emily Blunt. And because the last movie we saw her in here in the sanctuary was um, Edge of Tomorrow slash All You Need Is Kill slash Live, I Repeat, whichever name you prefer. Um, and she's great in that. She's such a strong character. Whereas here she is just there to be like, you know, woman with kid who needs saving, and she does it well. And she has some emotional beats. She does. She does yeah, it very well. I think yeah. she does okay. In it. Yeah. Um, um, I I'm not sure if that was. This is my problem with a bunch of it. I'm not sure if it was as well written. I think the actors did a lot with, um, the backstory stuff could have been tighter. I think they brought everything they could to the screen, but there were just sort of moments where there's a whole bunch of missed opportunities in it, right? Uh, a whole bunch of missed opportunities to make this actually about time travel, which is why I don't think it is. So there's, let me tell you the two things that I think about, because this comes back to like Emily Blunt and th this idea that she was this party girl in the city on drugs as well. And, and it didn't, and so she's, she's on like a redemption thing, which is a bit confusing. And it's like, well, why are you, sure, your sister took care of your kid, but like, why are you a farmer then? If it turns out it is just as easy as putting the kid in the ute at the end <laughs> and right. leaving. It's like, well, you know, and although I did kind of like, because we did, I can't remember if we did, um, I, did I did, didn't hate the farmhouse idea 
too much, right? Like it had that sort of interstellar vibe, which was mm. fine. Um, but yeah, that bit didn't kind of work for me. And it's, I think that was a case with each of them, right? So there's a, the thing that annoys me the most is when they're, um, Bruce and Joe meet in the diner. First of all, like the, the carving on the arm is clever. And I'm like, oh, cool. This is going to be a time travel movie. And it's about all the rest of it. They did that once and didn't do it really again. And also that the memory thing, which is an amazing um, magical like technique or prop to, to move into a time travel movie where your memories become clearer or cloudier and you can kind of Marco Polo your way through different timelines. What an incredible like hero skill to build a movie around if you're going to be doing stuff with timelines. And they mention that and then never use it. <laughs> right? They have that one they just scene keep looking at a watch. That one scene where he's trying to make sure he doesn't forget his wife. Yeah. And but that, they don't use it that, in any interesting way necessarily. So I don't think I don't think it's about and I don't, this isn't necessarily bad. It's just sort of um like you go to see a Joseph Gordon Levitt film and he's in like a somehow he's in a point break mask. Like what the hell is going on here, right? Um I wanted to see a time travel film and I'm not sure if it was that so much as it is um it's a morality film, right? Yeah, like, I guess um, I guess the most time traveling sequence, like like you mentioned, is scarring, but there is that part where um you know, Seth Paul Dano is being like surgically taken apart and the older version of him is you know falling apart as that happens. So well, I mentioned that, uh, sure. I mentioned that when I watched it, there was like there was some stuff that super stuck with me. That was the bit. Mm. Um at the start of the film, which looked amazing and was a really cool idea. But if you think about it, it was really dumb because they put the message on his arm with the time to get there. And then before he even had a chance to get there, they're cutting off like all of his limbs in super quick succession. Like, and they've just said they don't want to affect the future too much. So at least give him until the deadline before you start lopping off fingers and thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> but as so a visual, the other it's thing, absolutely amazing. Yeah. And, and the other crime, I think, is a macro one and it's i mean people who listen to this show are obviously going to be sci-fi nerds which is good so they'll feel me but the absolute basic bitch idea that people who have never heard of or read or seen sci-fi before when it comes to time travel is would you go back in time and kill baby hitler yeah and that's literally this film. the whole film it's like yeah. <laughs> it's it's it is the time travel movie equivalent of and then i woke up it's yeah. terrible it's like <laughs> well, the high so crime we talked about this guy being discount low um discount nolan yeah i have this theory that christopher nolan deliberately made prestige and inception because he thought to himself right i'm gonna take the two shittiest twists in history and make them work so he made a film where there was a twin all along feels like the most incredible twist and he made a film where maybe it was all a dream feels like the most incredible twist it's like, yeah, I buy well, that. And maybe Ryan Johnson was like, okay, well, I'm going to make a film where going back and killing maybe Hitler is. And it's, ah, uh, you didn't quite do it, mate. Yeah. The yeah. kid's never particularly likable. Yeah. Well, that's true. The kid wasn't, I wasn't likable at all. Terrible. <laughs> well, also, they, actor, but not, not likable. <laughs> they never really get into it as a debate, I think is the problem. Like, it's yeah. from the start. Bruce Willis wants to do it. Joseph Gordon-Levitt doesn't want to do it. That's it. They fight. If they exactly. sort of they'd started working together, then he'd had second thoughts. They'd come apart. If they, you don't really see the morality play out. You just see they already have their two sides. And also, more important, I agree completely. And it's more Joseph Gordon-Levitt doesn't once consider killing baby Hitler. And the thing is, he, he's going to do it in the future. So that's sort of in his personality type. So right away. It's like, I'm going to keep him alive to trap my future self. But it's like, but if you kill him, and it just didn't, this is what I mean. Like, it's not, it's 75% of the way, poor man's not, 75% of the way of, of playing with the trope, but it, it didn't do that. It just delivered the trope. Well, yeah, know? it's because they had that idea. They also had the, at first he's just in it to protect himself, but then he gets a change of heart and he actually wants to protect the kid. Thing. Yeah, because he wants to smash Emily Blunt. And it's like, again, yeah. that's not, but it's like they had <laughs> they had one character arc or another character arc, and they kind of just half did both. Yeah, rather than committing to one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but back, so I think. Are you going? 
back to the whole like removing limbs thing right at the very end you see sort of he's too far away to intervene bruce willis is about to kill the kid it gives you a big close-up of bruce willis's hand and i thought oh he's gonna blow his own hand off so he can't use the gun which i felt like they they'd really set that up i don't know he shoots himself in the heart and dies instead um which felt which was a less like shocking image i think than if he had actually blown his own hand off and then Bruce Willis had suddenly had no hand and no gun. Yeah. And you I, could I argue that killing touch- himself is a bigger thing, but it's, it felt less original. Yeah, interesting. And the fact that it, it literally is like a big zoom in on the finger, then like Joseph no, Gordon, that, like, I, I realizing face, yeah. he's got the gun. It felt I just felt so sure they were setting that up and then they didn't do it. When the great beyond yeah. someone's so like, why tell, did you just... You haven't, yeah, you haven't watched this before. That didn't occur to me this watch because... I, I knew what was going to happen. You knew what was coming, yeah, yeah. But, like, you're right. Not just that. It, because, as you say, the cutting off of the limbs, it's sort of that show a gun in the first act and have it go off in the third. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah why didn't he just shoot off his fucking head? Well, and, and, yeah, that's, like, that's this film's big original thing. And then, yeah, yeah. for whereas Kill Someone's They Don't Exist is pretty standard sci-fi stuff. Ryan Johnson's it's only his like second movie maybe even his first and it's no, got his, first that... was, his first was Brick I went and looked so he's got okay. like a Joseph Gordon-Levitt thing going on and it does have a bit of that um, kind of like dark noir stuff I liked Brick as well um, 2005 goodness but anyway um, oh, we can't do that his one first like that feature thing. was Brick but he also did a bunch of directed a bunch of Breaking Bad episodes I saw that yeah, yeah so that's pretty yeah. cool yeah but yeah, I just this has got a bit of the feeling of like he hasn't quite got it down yet how to put a story together and make it work, and because um and you can blame you can blame him for it. Like you, this is doesn't look like it doesn't look like studio interference in the same way because obviously we spoke about John Carter and so on, where it was Disney that really shut its own bed there, right? Mm. Um, this was him. Like this, you can tell that it was in the script, <laughs> and then it was in the camera and then it was on the screen and you go that's absolutely and i don't it, it's not accusatory because it's not like it's it's just not as good as i remember it's still three out of five right like yeah, if you're gonna not... if you're in the mood for it it's not a bad film it's not terrible but i i, I remember it being like oh yeah looper that's at least a four and a half and it's not <laughs> no i think what like you say it's not terrible it's not bad it's just it's that feeling of like there is something great here, but it's not quite there. Yes. And exactly. that's, that's so common in like an early film and a director's work, right? Absolutely. And I think that's when I'm like, I can't tell. So it's almost um, fractal. So the, I'm not sure if he wants to do this or he wants to do that, which we see in a lot of the um, character motivation. It's kind of there in, in the film itself. This is why I'm like, I'm not sure necessarily if it's a time travel film. It might have wanted to be. And it's that example where you go, God, this could have knocked out of the park. Because I think there's the line, and I used I used it for a blog post last year or the year before. There's a Ursula Le Guin line. I will always mention Ursula Le Guin until someone puts me in prison to stop me. But um, how you play is what you win. Hmm. And it's it, this is the classic sci-fi trope of like, the only way to win the game is not to play that um so kind of like classic you know cold war era nuclear war type shit Mm. that's in there so it's it's a it's a morality so in a a shamanic cosmology this is why i think it's a little bit of a shamanic film you have the three worlds so middle world upper world lower world the lower world is the place of the dead but also the, the past and the ancestors and in the same way the upper world is the place of our becoming is what my shamanic teacher calls it but it's also like the the future home of the descendants. So in, in shamanic cosmologies, we focus a lot on the ancestors, right? But you're actually kind of in the middle of this 
cosmic bow tie <laughs> where there's the ancestors behind you and the descendants in front of you. And you have obligations to both. And that's one of the things you find in kind of like pre-capitalist systems is that classic idea, which isn't wrong, it's just not universally applied over Turtle Island, where tribal decisions would be made with the idea of like, how is this going to affect people seven generations down the line? Um, and once we get capitalism, that doesn't, there's no um, relation to the future. There's just, the, and it's like perfect at pricing the moment, but it can't price future, right? And so this is actually playing, I think, with, how you play is what you win and, and like obligation to descendants rather than a um, sci-fi or time travel stuff. It's more philosophical. It's more like, well, what's even going on in the world? But this one actually, I think has a, um, has like a more central morality to it. Uh, and that's kind of coming back to sort of killing uh, himself rather than doing something like, you know, just blowing the hand off, which, Thinking about it now, I would have done <laughs> rather than well, shoot myself in the chest. <laughs> I brought this up many times on this podcast, but for my A-level philosophy exams, I had to write an essay on um, comparing, I can't remember who it was now because it was 12 years ago, but comparing some um, ethical theories. And I wrote it all through the lens of um, John Connor and Sarah Connor deciding whether mm -hmm. to kill Dyson or not. Um, and yeah, that I would... I would probably say T2 had already done that morality play better. Yeah. Because this is what they actually had I the think characters so. talk about it. Yeah. I think so. Um, I th um, because what they did with what they didn't do. So essentially, um, Rian Johnson has his answer for would you kill baby Hitler? And his answer is no, hmm. because they left the Rainmaker alive on the um, presumption, and this is usually kind of like the correct answer to the dumb baby Hitler question, which is like, would you go back and kill baby Hitler? It's like, no, it's a baby. Like you, you don't, we don't kill babies, right? We, we hope that they can not be damaged as they grow into adulthood and perpetrate a Holocaust, right? Uh, and that's sort of in there, but, it, and, and so one of the things I was talking to Matt about, I think Matt anyway, um, I think we're doing, unless I was just randomly annoying someone with this, uh, having watched the film recently um, here in Auckland, the Lupas are kind of the bad guys. Like, these are criminals. This is yeah. a crime syndicate, right? And so this kid grows up and is closing all the loops as some sort of revenge play or something. First of all, that would affect the timeline as well. And so would, like, cutting off someone's hand. It's not just you vanish. Like, um, yeah. if Bruce Willis... Well, if jo Joseph Gordon-Levitt doesn't get to grow into Bruce Willis in that sort of 30-year hence, like a whole bunch of that is going to be different, right? Um, anyway, uh, and so I'm just, there, I don't, this is another example of I don't think he landed what could have been a really good morality question, which is the Rainmaker is apparently a bad guy, um, but is also Jean Grey, like, and Jean Grey isn't a bad guy until she becomes sort of. Um, and so it's like, well, hang on, this kid who watches his mother die in one timeline grows up and um, perpetrates revenge on the international time traveling crime syndicates that did this. And you think, wait a minute, <laughs> what the fuck's going on here? And, and that, again, it's not even like they leave you with it because the film finishes to early and you kind of again you kind of know what he wants to do but it's just he's he's no nolan you know they he wants did to throw in a little line bruce willis says something like oh he's closing all the loops and he did some purges of the vape they throw in some line about other heinous things he's done because i guess at some point in the script rewrites they were like wait this guy's only killing criminals maybe he's not that bad let's make him super terrible maybe that's the yeah. sauce this movie needed like um like we still follow Levitt, even in his weird makeup, as basically the quote unquote protagonist. Mm. But maybe morally, it's the older version of himself that should be painted more as the good guy, you know, or at least the reformed criminal. Like, like we're following the motivations of, of Levitt, who thinks he's right and he's, he's just not because he's, he's young and stupid. <laughs> yeah, maybe if they'd made it less of a personal revenge thing from Bruce Willis's angle. Well, so this is what I think they were literally trying to do, because when I said, I'm not sure if it's a time travel film, with the, with the sort of pacifist, anarchist, even Taoist, kind of like Ursula Le Guin idea of how you play is what you win, what I think he's trying to get across is 
the perpetuation of violence itself mm. is the enemy, right? So there's a couple of lines that I wrote down that I thought, this is where he's trying to go with it. Now, first of all, um, at the, when um, Joseph Gordon-Levitch shows up at the diner, or more when Bruce does, but like, there's a line there, the movies that you're addressing like are just copying other movies, mm. right? So what the, the persona you're putting on of like the bully and, and the gangster and whatever is just this, it's not you, it's this echo through time. So that's one of them. Also, he rolled a watch shop, which is how he became a looper, right? So there's like a sort of clunky time thing um, going on in there. But there's a line, um, I guess everything comes back around. And so this is a movie about karma and the perpetuation of acts. This is what I mean by it's about the descendants, the perpetuation of violent acts into the future and, and how we don't think about that. And our obligation is in fact to the descendants. And I kind of think that's why he had to die at the end. It's like, it's not even just like blowing off the hand. Um, he has to die because he is in some sense a bad guy, but that is the sort of obligation, right? Um, mm -hmm. And it was the sort of best hope of, as far as I can tell, for like the, for baby Hitler and Emily Blunt to, to have a this weird combination, to, <laughs> to have like a happy life, right? Um, but for me, it, there was a few echoes of what they're trying to say here. I guess everything comes back around again and you're, the movies you're dressing like are just dressing like other movies. It's sort of, we, we move through the perpetuation of violence and criminality without making those interventions now that propagate into the future. That's my take. That's what I think it's about. I don't know. What do you reckon? Well, I think that rings true that Ryan Johnson would make a film about how the real problem is the perpetuation of violence because that's mm. The Last Jedi. Exactly. So, yeah, that's definitely yeah. something that he wanted to make a film about. Um, and, yeah, I think, like you say, if you think about it in those terms, the fact that he has to kill him at the end and stuff, it does make more poetic sense and more storyline sense. Yeah. It just it also makes like dumb idiot film protagonist sense. Exactly. It's a really cool like beat in, in the mm. scene, right? Because if Willis had just had his hand blown off and so had Joseph Gordon Levitt, they're still gonna have to throw down. Like mm. the scene isn't over yet. That's true, that's true. <laughs> At that point. Um so dramatically speaking, just it, it was a really good shot. Um and you know, he's gone. Uh so in that like filmmaking delivery sense, really, really good. But I literally did not occur to me until, <laughs> until you mentioned it, Luke. I'm like, oh, you could have just blown your fucking hand off. Yeah. <laughs> There's the, um, yeah, he must have had like, you know, he should have had a cut scene with him like appearing in the great beyond and everyone would, what, you could just blown your hand off, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. post credit yeah, scene, exactly. that, would, that would have been fantastic. Um, so I don't know, when, when is it okay? It's, it's a minority uh, report thing too with the whole pre-crime. Like, are you guilty of something you haven't, done yet so when is it acceptable to neutralize baby hitler and and how do you do it you know well i don't i don't agree that it's okay to give someone the death penalty for a crime they have done so like, that, that's why i said we could neutralize, neutralize baby way. hitler without killing them right yeah <laughs> yeah you would be a shit looper luke <laughs> <laughs> again i don't think the loopers are executing criminals for the justice system <laughs> no yeah, um, <laughs> but I think I'll take it as a compliment that I'd be a shit mob hit man. saying you don't think it's a time travel movie and something that kept going through my mind watching it was kind of the um the transurfing concept mm. uh, is, have, have either of you heard much about this i've only heard about it from you when we did everything everywhere all at once 
Oh, right. No. It's, fun- it's funny then, because I, I read that book like five years ago, and it's, it's a Russian author. I, I honestly, I can't recall his name off the top of my head, but the idea is basically think of all of reality as, I don't know, this, this is my own mental construct, but like reality is a sphere, and your experience, you're just making your way. You can snake around this way. You can snake around that way. So again, like everything all at once, everything's possible, but your personal route is your personal route. That's, that's your experience. So the idea is using, you know, intention, you can, you can go through realities in the way that you desire more or less, which I, I think, yeah. uh, I mean, we see that going horribly wrong when Paul Dano is being uh, surgically taken apart. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but the idea, yeah, yeah. We've now shifted yeah. trans surfed into this other reality. And so each time you, something, they lop something off of them, you know, the, the, the path changes basically. So it's, it's more like a nonlinear thing right time doesn't matter anymore because it's just the way you're experiencing all of reality correct and that's like it's it's that open up uh, opening up of the possibilities and obligations and having just done a month of ayahuasca in the amazon that's true like she basically it's really interesting try she's trying to teach me this dimensional stuff which made complete sense in ceremony and then the next morning i'd be trying to write it down and because i'm kind of (laughs) like back here like shit <laughs> how does this work would it make absolutely complete sense as, as you actually do it and like showing you this different dimensional stuff right um that, but the short version of if it kind of works is that we want that kind of trans-dimensional experience to be quite sci-fi but it, it's actually intentional it's actually being aware that it's happening all the time anyway and to kind of to literally step into a dimension where you can step into dimensions um is kind of like the, the beginning of of coming into relation, um, and I keep using the word obligation, but it's too dark. So like coming into relation with the past and the future is, is the flow on from that. And I think that's kind of where he's trying to go. We think there's another one, I forget the name of the book. It was an Ian M. Banks book that I read in London 15 years ago, maybe, where they, it was another kind of like, it, it was a trans-dimensional rather than time traveling, like crime syndicate. Uh, and they would, you would find a dimension where there was a younger or healthier or whatever version of you and essentially take that body over. And that was like the reward for, for doing different things. So you could kind of live forever or about 1100 years, give or take, by moving through like horizontally, finding timelines where different stuff had happened. And I quite, it was, I don't usually do hard sci-fi and that was, that was like a soft hard sci-fi, I put it that way. Um, so it was kind of like boring. <laughs> I but I do like the, uh, yeah, I do sort of like that idea. And there's something again, very shamanic about that, I think. I haven't read that one, but I read all of Ian and Banks' culture novels, his big space ones. Yeah. And there so was one, he does well, one as like Ian Banks. Explain this to me then. He does like Ian Banks and Ian M. Banks, right? Ian M. Banks like is the, sci-fi. Ian Banks is yes. not sci-fi. That's it. So I, I definitely read an Ian e. M. Banks one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but no, he did another one where they were, they were trying to move their whole society from universe to universe, so they yeah. could escape the end of the universe and this society could live forever. So that's obviously an idea he's attached to. Before yeah. we move on, the Maya did that. That's literally what happened to the Maya. Um, Vadim Zeland is your author, <laughs> Matt. Oh, thank you. There's um, I, I do not feel bad for not remembering that name. No, exactly. <laughs> Although all of his pictures look exactly like how you'd imagine a Russian guy who got rich from a book would look in his 50s. Mm. <laughs> He's got like sunglasses, ridiculous hair. Does he look like Bruce Willis in that one like uh, interim scene with the no, no, movie? No, this guy's got a smashing head of hair. <laughs> okay, good for him. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I just I feel like like taking this movie from that perspective kind of makes it more interesting. <laughs> I think this is one of those movies which maybe technology is kind of eliminating um, where it had bigger ideas that it could afford to show us. Like it wanted yeah, to be this this real back and forth time travel thing. We basically have an apartment, a diner and a farmhouse yeah. as our three sets and quite a small cast. We don't really, the future, we only ever see like a city in the background, really. We don't like get these sweeping shots of this future city. They filmed in Louisiana. I'm like, right. Well, that's the thing. (laughs) They filmed on sets, which like movies don't do anymore if they want to make a sci fi. (laughs) Yeah. What do we have now? The the virtual sets. 
that yeah. has been showing up recently. That's that's kind of weird. Um, I don't know if that applies to this movie at all, but yeah, just to... well, that's my. I don't think it does apply to this movie, and that's why it, it does keep itself so contained and small. Yeah, yeah, because now I mean they're making these like epic TV sci-fi series with you know movie size stuff because they have these virtual sets now. So yep. um, I did I did hear an editor I it was an editor for Strange New Worlds the Star Trek show talking about how actually it's um, for him at least it's better because he gets finished footage like right from the get go mm. and um, you know he doesn't really have to imagine how it's going to look later once they add the effects. So. <laughs> I guess that's cool. But yeah, yeah, this th that was another thing that disappointed me when, when I first saw this is having just seen the super gigantic, you know, scope of Inception and feeling like this was kind of like the spiritual follow up to it, mostly because of marketing. And then we get this really kind of tiny story. So I'm like, eh, is that all there yeah, is? And I think that's another example of him just not being a good enough filmmaker yet, because there is and it's, they're very often powerful films there is those kind of like small sci-fi films that don't really have much sci-fi in it, if you will. Mm. Like, so I think he was probably trying to go with one of those sort of intense character-driven things, but then the characters are, again, it's just like, didn't quite, like, I wonder if he'd do it again. I wonder if he'd like tighten up the script now, post-Jedi, and go, actually, if I was to do Looper again, this is, and even with a name like Looper, you expect it to be woven together a little bit, mm. like with, with a little bit more competence. And I wonder if, if he could do it again, even just the script or the plot in a way that's just kind of like tighter <laughs> 10 years later. Because that was the same sort of, if you're going to make a, if you're going to make one of those, not even really, it's a bit claustrophobic, it's a siege movie, but like claustrophobic, intense, it's sci-fi, but it's really about these three, actually two characters um, played by three actors. It's like... <sighs> Yes, I like the. I, I'm. I always have time for that. I, I like the big space opera shit as well, but I like those tight ones. But you didn't really give me. You didn't really give me that. No. Either. So uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like um. You know, the problem is if they if this did get revisited, it would be like, you know, like a at at its slimmest, like an eight episode Netflix series now. Or I'm still like. Huh. You know, there, there's I'm like, what one? What there's a Snowpiercer TV show and they're on season what? <laughs> you know, I'm like how sometimes, yeah, sometimes a smaller concept is probably done smaller. This one maybe just a touch too small. You know, he could certainly refine it, but the, the mechanics of the system these days would be like, okay, this needs you're gonna make the loopers verse now, you know. Well, I just finished <laughs> last night the most recent season of Stranger Things. And I remember back in season one thinking, Oh, they had about the ideas for a movie and they stretched it out to six episodes. The pacing's not great. We're now at the point where a season is nine movie length episodes. Yeah. And they still have about as much plot as one movie. That one could have been, <laughs> that could have been tighter. But the finale yeah. is a two and a half hour episode. I know. So I'm, on another show, I'm on another show talking about that in a little, <laughs> little while. And so I had to finish watching it. Uh, and I finished watching it in Texas a couple of weeks ago. And it took me days, like, because you go, oh, God. It's not that I don't have the time, even though I sort of don't. It's like two and a half hours, two and a half hours, a fellowship of the ring for a final <laughs> film. Like, no, go well, to jail. It's, That's it's just, not. Yeah. I've watched two and a half hour movies and liked them, but this isn't a two yeah. and a half hour movie. It's the pacing of a TV episode dragged exactly. to two and a half hours. Yeah. And I, I really like the characters and stuff, so I want to watch that show. But at least they didn't. Those guys need an editor. <laughs> yes, they. Well, the trouble is, and I, this happens with books as well. I know it more from my. So I think about Graham Hancock's books, mm. the last several of them, which he wrote really high. But also because the books sell, his editor isn't strong enough to go. This is this is fifty thousand words too long. We're going to cut the crap out of this, yeah. and they don't. So you get this fucking phone book that meanders all over the world, depending on how high he was when he wrote it. You know, this is. There's some good stuff in here. This is, should have been a skinnier book. And it's kind of the same with The Last Stranger Thing. It was the second best of the series so far because mm. first series was excellent. Let's not talk about the intervening series. And that one was fine, right? <laughs> but it actually could have been good if it was skinnier, I think. Yeah. It's sort of like, yeah. like modern pop culture attention spans are being like dragged and like 
two varying you know uh, directions where it's like okay you're gonna sit down and watch like 20 hours of a tv show or you're gonna have 30 seconds of this tiktok video and there's <laughs> nothing really in between these days well that's i watching it i'm like this is so um, netflix can report an increase in watch time yeah. because they're fucked at the moment so <laughs> and they know everyone's gonna watch that so it's like boys as in whatever they are duffer brothers make every episode fucking lawrence of arabia see if i give a shit right because it's definitely going to boost their um, their quarterly watch time when they come and report because their stock prices in the toilet, their subscriptions are in the toilet. It's kind of what I would do if I, I wouldn't have crashed Netflix so quickly, but um, because, you know, go work, go broke. But that's, you look at it and go, <laughs> let's, let's pick our biggest show and let's have it run forever and that'll boost our watch time. I mean, Netflix is, it's this bizarre thing where, it's like never been profitable, right? No. <laughs> it's just this weird hole where investor money disappears for yeah. inexplicable rich people reasons. <laughs> like, I think they call that laundering. Basically. <laughs> but like that's the the whole tech and web and service industry is just... You just create something that gets enough buzz that people will invest in it. And then they will get build enough buzz that someone even richer will invest in it, will invest in it. None of these things actually get to the point where they're turning profit. <laughs> like, I think Uber is the same. And like, yeah, all these services, which they become a big part of your lives and lots of people are using them, but the money's just disappearing somewhere. Well, hopefully it's, it's a forbid it gets and... fed down to the people. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was gonna say, hopefully, hopefully, if the trend continues, money will cease to to matter, and will be but a that's the problem. Society. Money has ceased to matter for like this small percentage of the population to the point that they just treat it like that, points in a video if game. You, if you look at, you know, if you put the Obamas on the board, that's an example of knowing, like, well, actually, where the money comes from, and I know this from working in media, is essentially from the Pentagon, right? And it's the same thing mm. with Uber and the rest of it. These companies are military contractors in the sense that they're propaganda platforms which yeah. is so it's one of those things where if it if something doesn't make money there's no such thing as like some well it's not quite true but there's a good way of thinking about it there's no such thing as things not making money or not being able to run everything requires money to run on so if it's making a loss it isn't really it's it's very valuable to someone somewhere mm. if, if it continues and that's when you look at that and go oh and then you've just stacked the board with like war criminals it's like okay <laughs> um hmm all right, I see what's happening here. And that's just the, how, we, how we navigate the dystopia we're in at the moment is to sort of be aware of that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've got another guest for that who comes on and tells us about how the military funds everything. <laughs> it does. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot a list of that consultant. Okay. <laughs> well, you got them all over the place. It's great. <laughs> but um, any, any big plonks we want to plot out on this movie Big i did briefly want to shout out um the trigger man who comes to the house sort of the midway point through the film he was the terminator in the sarah connor chronicles so i love seeing that actor pop up and okay, stuff cool. i think you I know it's funny you mentioned the most recent stranger things right because when baby hitler lifts that guy up into the air. I'm like, oh, this is just like Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he? Did he even get the nosebleed? I can't remember. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he didn't. Did he? No, he, 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 he didn't. But he did pass out. I think. So yeah. Yeah. yeah this one doesn't have time travel nosebleeds, does it? Nope. <laughs> oh, uh, so let's rate the time machine. We get like one glimpse of it, but how, how did, did that? Did we even see it? I barely caught it. Yeah, it was. It was like the big tumble dryer he crawled into. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, it was very I actually didn't mind it. I yeah. like the effect of when you see them in the past, they just blink into existence. Yeah. Uh, that that yeah. From, they don't from show an outside naked, covered in lightning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from an outside perspective, I feel like that's how a time machine should look. Yeah, agree. I think agreed. my favorite ever depiction of time travel, and it's not a well-regarded movie, is the Time Machine remake. <laughs> not a well-regarded movie. <laughs> it's very polite of you. <laughs> but wait, wait, he's just Guy Pierce is just sat in the thing, and time is just happening around him. Yeah, fair enough. But I feel like I agree. Though seeing... I think this, this is yeah, this is what it would look like if if people and who's to say they don't like speaking mm. of military industrial stuff and whatever. 
this I this is one of the not necessarily flaws, but I don't see this in too many time travel films, right? This it's, it's in there in Terminator, it's there like in the year 20, blah blah blah, time travel will be invented. Hmm. And it's like, okay, well, that means it's everywhere. Yeah. Now, right. And who's to say it isn't? That's the other thing that I think about. Like, who's to say, especially if it just looks like people blinking in and out. Um, there's enough in the, in the edge of that kind of paranormal Fortean crypto world, um, not financial crypto, but like Bigfoot and whatever. Um, yeah, the cool kind of crypto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the one that's real. Uh, it's, <laughs> you, you get like stories of people saying that, people that they're either like men in black style or people who just look perfectly human saying I'm from this year and what have you. So mm. it might, and that's kind of, one of the arguments against time travel is like, well, then the whole timeline would be messed up. And I'm like, how do you know it isn't changing five times a second? Like, literally, how would you know? How would you know? Maybe there is some sort of Star Trek style battle between like over the, the whole goddamn timeline of people trying to um, put it back together or fuck with it or, or what have you. And it just feels like maybe that's what this feels like. How would you possibly know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of, I think I like that. <laughs> well, you can um, roll back to the, um, the the Hindu idea. You know, reality is being destroyed and recreated every single moment. So when it's recreated, you can change a few parameters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's sort of something like that because we here's the thing: we actually are time travelers. So you can you can do things like precognition, and there are magical techniques that allow you to kind of. Um, influence past stuff so that does show up in the present and that's been those are techniques that people all over the world have used for millennia right so um, even just even if you think dumb enough to think time is linear you are embedded in time moving forward so in the sense that you are technically time traveling regardless uh it's it's not that much of a step out to go okay well then maybe maybe it's happening a lot maybe it's just something that's sort of part of the ecosystem i don't know and i, th- I like that i think about that it comes back to what you were saying though, Luke, about it's a good depiction of how people would move through time. I agree. It's not, mm. like I was saying, it's not like naked, covered in, covered in lightning. You just kind of show up and it's there. So that, yeah, but you know, he did something, right? Yeah. <laughs> As we were saying earlier, when you've got a Schwarzenegger on set, you've got to show him off. <laughs> yeah. You don't buy a Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger to keep it in the garage. Yeah, 80 Schwarzenegger. You don't want current Schwarzenegger. <laughs> No. <laughs> Although, if I get to that age and I look like that, I'll be happy. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. No, just you were talking I'll just about. Just walk around the, naked, covered in blue lightning. Yeah. You were talking about the subtle battle in Good and Evil and like that sort of thing. And I thought, oh, that'd be a great film we could talk about. But it was 2011, so not going to happen. But uh, the Adjustment well, Bureau, pretty. you reminded me of the Adjustment Bureau. That's a good one. Yeah. I like that one. I need to yeah. get back because I saw that. I liked it. Then my wife watched it and was like, I love this movie and I can't remember anything about it. So I guess I need to watch it again. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take a recommendation from, from the lady for once. <laughs> well, that could be where we finally get your wife on the podcast. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. No, no, no. The only way she's going to be is, is interrupting and then I'll be like, hey, babe, you're on YouTube now. <laughs> <laughs> no, or whatever. I guess we've kind of been talking the whole time about how this holds up and it's, it's in a weird place. It's like, kind of like, I mean, it's a little more in a curio, I think, but it is kind of, it's a fascinating study of a, of a, a, a style that people are now somewhat familiar with being um, Brian Johnson's, you know, would it be like, fair to say it's a victim of its own success? Yeah, like it, it's a good film, but we were told it was like a masterpiece, perfect film. And it just wasn't quite, Here's another question. Would we like it better if Inception didn't exist? Very did it have thunder stolen from it? Because um, mm. that could have been 
part of it as well. Because I'm, yeah, I don't, it's a weird way to say, I don't even, don't even really, not that I dislike, I do not dislike any Christopher Nolan films. So I don't dislike Inception. I probably, it is, like, it is objectively a better film than Looper. I just don't think I care about it. <laughs> Inception's got um, that problem because I'm a little bit of a hipster of everyone banged on about it, so I don't care about it. Yeah, that's what it is. That's it's exactly like, what it is. I'm much yeah. more into the prestige and Interstellar, and I wonder if that's just because they didn't quite get the hype Inception did. Yeah. From, well, and in fact, the chattering classes didn't like, especially when Interstellar, because I, I love the prestige. I have no idea. I think we're the, like the only three people who've ever watched it, and I've watched it like <laughs> a bunch of times. It's awesome. But Interstellar came out, and even our people, even nerds, were like, it's not even that good. I'm like, what movie were you watching? This is yeah, amazing. Incredible <laughs> film. The, the other movie that... Um, I guess kind of the faux Nolan of this time, which I haven't seen. Is it is it Transcendence where Johnny Depp becomes the uh, singularity or something? I feel like that was another one that w- was alongside the film. Maybe a year. I later always get that confused with her. So, oh okay, <laughs> her is about this time too. I don't remember what year her was. Her might be twenty twelve. I don't remember, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I just remember that one striking a bell because you uh, one of the characters is the disembodied spirit of Alan Watts, which was just a fantastic decision. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. I'm going to put that on my list. Hmm. But yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. That, that's I don't know three out of five. I mean, we've spoiled it, but it's a time travel film. It's kind of um, have we spoiled it? Question mark. Um, I, I if people haven't seen it, it's definitely. And if you liked Brick, it is. Funny enough, it is kind of as if Brick and Last Jedi had a baby. Like, it is actually halfway between. Um, so if you liked, either, if you thought either one of them were kind of good and you haven't seen it, then, yeah, give Looper a whirl. I think I have to check out Brick. I haven't seen it. It's, yeah. good. it's just, it's a good little noir detective thing. It's, yeah. Back when, you know, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt oh, was a lot still of hot. the same, quite a few of the same cast. Yeah. yeah. Um, that you could tell he was kind of like I don't know doing that thing where you try to get a crew together that sort of Tim Burton idea, yeah. Um, but yeah, and it, it was it's good. It's a good little noir. Um, it, yeah, worth it. Yeah, Nolan again. He's got all his cocaine, right? So with his True. revolving his, <laughs> his normal cast. Um, I well, okay. I guess we'll put a bow on this one and uh, send it back into the past and have have baby luke shoot it to death i would shoot this one yeah (laughs) uh gordon what are you up to i I, i've got actually i do have your new book on my ipad and if so if you've written a um graham hancock tome i I won't know until i'm far and too deep but uh it's uh, it's not it's it's, yeah like it's a world traveling book but it's not quite of it's not a graham hancock length it's uh (laughs) it's definitely tighter than that but it's actually in that world. Like, I, it's kind of like my Terrence McKenna book. Uh, so, my Starships was my Graham Hancock book. This is my Terrence McKenna book. And I'm terrifying my publishers with the idea that the third and final one in the trilogy is going to be my Carlos Castaneda book. But I think it might be. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've been hanging so, uh, around doing ayahuasca for months, you're ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> I won't let them see it and just terrify them with like, uh, isn't he the guy that killed people in a sweat lodge? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I'm up to. Um, I, that book came out earlier this year, uh, and then I've been I've been gallivanting, and in in a couple of weeks I'll be back on the farm for the first time in four months. Wow. Uh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for joining us today. Because uh, I was like, man, I don't know if I can pin this guy down. <laughs> He's clearly it's all the over t- the place. Like the funny enough. You know, it's it's time getting in, uh, time getting in the way, uh, but we got it to work. Well done, well done, us. <laughs> uh, We're the bestest. How are we the bestest, Luke? Because uh, we make great podcasts that you should listen to, and you can find them find this podcast on Twitter at MLSFS Pod, or on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of that. Just search Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. If you want to hear other podcasts by me and Matt, and maybe throw us a dollar a month, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Podcastio Podcastius. All right. Hey, we made an hour. We, we got an hour to talk about Looper. What do you know? <laughs> I think we got about 50 minutes talking about Looper and then like 15 minutes talking about Stranger Things for some reason. That'll <laughs> do. There, there's, some filler. there's some filler in there, but like it's quality filler. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that's, that's, you know, I, 
if if someone wants to you know write in and say you're horribly wrong please do because i've actually gotten that comment before but i i love it when you go on a podcast and there's a bit of bait and switch or some fantastic thing you're going to hear that you just didn't know that's what you're going to get into that podcast about so to me that's exactly. that's the gold standard you know <laughs> and if there is someone out there who cares enough about looper to say you're horribly wrong it's a five out of five film and they actually have you know 10 bullet points about where it is bring it on that yeah i'd love great. to i'd love to hear that yeah yeah, we, yeah. I take a looper rebuttal. That's right. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Right, I'm going to go shoot myself in the chest with a blunderbuss. So awesome. I'm going to go to brunch. That sounds like too much work. Beneath the planet of the apes.